Cinebabble, episode four. Uh, I am your host, Ken Brown. And I'm Clint is, Jones. I was going to say, <laughs> be a professional, Clint. I'm your host, Ken Brown, and this is my co-host, Clint. Say hi, hi Clint. I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh, we're continuing our uh, just trip through the deep dark forest of podcasting. It's been a lovely adventure. What's been your favorite part, Clint? All the listeners. Mm. There's aren't there aren't any. There aren't. No. Uh, uh, Jill from uh, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, wrote in. And uh, Billy from Wisconsin, yeah, a young lad that's uh, really just looking up to us, and he's inspired. Phil from inspired. Toronto was really cool. Yeah, yeah, he was a nice guy. Yeah, um, he yeah. sent us cupcakes. Yeah, and then um, somebody, uh, Werner Herzog, uh, apparently is a listener. Uh, <laughs> oh. Really, really loves we're what really we're up to. We're really getting out there. We are. We are international. That's international <laughs> podcasting. It's good stuff. Yeah. So uh, let's let's dive right in. What you watching about, Clint? What you watching about? Okay. Well, what I've been watching about <laughs> this week, I uh, watched The King on Netflix. Okay. How was that? That's I, Timothy Chalamet and yep. Robert Pattinson. Yep. Who and directed? Joel, Ed, Ed, Joel Ed, Edgerton. Ed. Take your time on this one. Joel Edgerton. Edgerton. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't, who, who I don't think I've this? ever said his name out loud before, so. No, we should work on that. It was a learning that. experience. Who wrote and directed this? Um, it was directed by David Mitchid. How it hits, it's Has got he like done something before? Yes. Oh, like one of those little roofs? Yeah, and I, so I don't know what that does, the inflection of it. So, yeah, he did the rover. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's right. You told me that before. I keep bringing this movie up to you, and you have this le- look of disinterest <laughs> on your face. That's... And then I remind you who's in it and know, who directed it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I was interested in that movie. It's because I have this disinterest in my heart about it. And I've watched the trailer, and I every time you remind me who it's by and who's in it, I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm excited for it. And then it disappears three yeah. seconds later. Yeah. Like short-term We've memory loss. gone Just, through oh, this like gone. three times. I know. Anyway... <laughs> What you uh, what you think about this? Well, I really liked it. It's yeah. based on um, a few of Shakespeare's plays about Henry V, which I didn't realize before. Kind of looking into it afterwards, mm-hmm. um, I thought it was just a historical drama, and to me, it kind of plays more like a historical drama. It, do- it doesn't have any of Shakespeare's language attached to it, but I thought like all the acting was really good. I had never. I don't think I'd ever seen. Um, Timothy Chalamet in anything? Well, he was in Lady Bird, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I have seen him in that, and I, I, he's not very memorable to me from that. But um, he I has really, a very memorable haircut from the trailer. That's, oh, okay. I think that's what I fixate on. I think I fixate on his haircut in that trailer oh, in the, for the King in the King trailer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it makes me not want to watch this movie. I'm well, that shallow. I really am. But that's like a haircut. Everyone has a haircut in this movie. It's historically accurate. This. Doesn't make me interested. <laughs> I really wanted that haircut after. Seeing really? It. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, not really. Okay. I lied. Okay. <laughs> but I know there's it was like historical to me. accuracy, but then there's historical accuracy where it's it's slightly distracting because it's a little too accurate. Oh, that's something you need to get over. Okay. But it's worth watching. <laughs> yeah, I really now, liked it. Is this something we should review then? I think so. Right. I thought well, it was. I will, I'll watch it then. Okay. Well, I thought it was really well shot. It's. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It's gritty, and the battle scenes are really gritty, and kind of um, 
Game of Thronesy. Game of Thronesy. That's a word. Or that's like, a new verb. Yeah, that muddy is a and dirty and cinnababble verb. Cinnababble verb, <laughs> right there. I like it. Cinnababble using their mouths for the first time. <laughs> so yeah, I really liked it. I thought all the acting was really good. I thought Timothy mm-hmm. Chalamet pulled off the king role really well, and okay. um, Robert Pattinson was creepy and weird and a really good. Okay. This fills me with hope because we've said it before, but uh, he has uh, stacked up quite a few performances for himself. He's really kind of going out in search of different roles and uh, different things to try. I feel like he's just somebody, he either knows exactly what he wants with his career or he doesn't want to be locked into any one single performance or role. And so he's just going out of his way to do everything different. But it's always it's always good to watch. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, he worked with, on the rover with the director, so mm-hmm. I guess friends. I would hope giving so. Giving friends work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what else are you watching? I watched next. I watched The Girl on the Third Floor. Now, this one I've been interested in because the internet is hopping with all kinds of uh, comments about how this is the new pinnacle of horror filmmaking. This is the best horror film of the year. This is this is the thing. It's super gross, but this is the movie that is going to turn your stomach, scare the lights out of you, and uh, bring you begging for more. Is this all true? I don't think the internet has seen many horror movies, if that's true. <laughs> okay. uh, just from my opinion, maybe I've been desensitized by things like, oh, I don't know. Uh, Antichrist. Let's give that an example mm-hmm. where anything past that, I just feels tame. But uh, directed by Travis Stevens. Okay. I'm not familiar. He's with only him. done, I think, one thing before that. Okay. Now, did this have a distinctly low yeah. quality vibe to it? Yeah, okay. and at times I liked it for that, but I think it was really hindered by that in the okay. long run. Um, now all of the body horror or the bodily fluid horror, whatever that is that everybody's talking about that's so gross about this film, is it is it just gross? Does it have any real impact or is it just visuals that are squeamish? Well, it, I guess it plays into the story, um, but I didn't think it was particularly gross, okay. really. It was just slime coming out of walls and okay. stuff. It doesn't go much beyond that. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Man, everybody on the internet has misled me then. Yeah, I don't so they know. Really Maybe they saw a different like, film than I did. I mean, tweets in all capital letters like, do not eat while watching this film. I didn't find anything particularly gross. Okay. I mean, maybe I'm not as sensitive to that as some people are, like gross out stuff. Um, maybe you would be, because I know you don't like vomit and Yeah, things. I do not. Yeah, I do I mean, not. there's not much vomit but is it, in it. So compare it to Dead Alive for me, because Dead Alive is still a movie uh, even though it was made decades ago, it'll still turn my stomach when I'm watching it. I'd say Dead Alive is more gross just because of how it sets up the gross factors, okay. like the dinner table scene with the mm-hmm. pus in the soup or whatever it was. The pus soup. Pus soup. Um, but it's it's got CM Punk, who's a mm-hmm. wrestler, mm-hmm. and he kind of had a nice Ash vibe to him, you know, from like Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. And, but... He, he. I think he did fine with what he was given, but it, it just I didn't find it very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Last question there. Did it did it feel like a movie that was made to be 
talked about the way it's talked about because sometimes I'll find a movie and it has all this buzz and there's lots of very particular wording around it. This is the horror movie of the year. But then when you watch it, you can tell it just feels like it was made to elicit that response. I didn't think anything was that shocking in it, okay. really. So I think it everything worked within the story, but I feel like it was, like I said, hindered by the budget that was allowed it but at the same time something where like evil dead or dead alive or something where the restraint of the budget really kind of helps the film but this i feel like i don't know if they put their money in the thing like maybe cm punk's but his like salary or not salary but his his green m&m rider his green m&m <laughs> like have to have green m&ms take out everything else yeah and that poor person picking out all the red and brown just all the money went there <laughs> But I, I don't know. I just wasn't really into okay. it. I kind of wish I was, but mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I'll I'll probably check it out if yeah. it's ever you know free on a streaming yeah, service. Yeah, that but was you, my you paid mistake. Like I paid cash seven dollars right? to watch it. I mean, the, I will give it. The trailer did sell me on it. It looked like a fun, like Evil Dead inspired kind of film, but everything is in the trailer. Uh, and the only thing I found interesting was after kind of looking into it a little bit like on Wikipedia mm-hmm. um, that kind of surprised me was that Steve Albini did the music and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him at all he's a musician a musician and like a producer like he's produced thousands of records he um, was in a band called Shellac and Big, uh, Big Black and he worked with like Nirvana and the Pixies and he, okay. my personal favorite like Godspeed Your Black Emperor mm-hmm. and Mogwai yeah. He's worked with so many like amazing bands, and he did the music for it. And w- the music did not really ring a bell with me. So I was huh. like, huh, that's funny that he did the music for it. And okay. It just came, kind of seemed like pretty typical fare to me. So but, just kind of generic. And, yeah. Huh. I don't know. I guess it, it didn't take away from it, but it didn't particularly add anything to it. Okay. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was the girl on the third floor. I don't know. It was if you. Don't have to pay $7 for it, maybe. Check it out. Yeah. Anything else you're watching no, this week? I, yeah, that's the main okay. couple things. Okay. What you been watching about? <laughs> what you watching about, Ken? <laughs> you gotta, we're gonna have it in big letters for you, you poor man. <laughs> I say it how I say it. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to tread on your okay. artistic credibility. I make the choices I make, and you live with them. Well, and they're good choices. They're good choices, buddy. It's okay. You're doing a good job. What you watching about, Ken? (laughs) Your inflection was perfect there. I have been watching uh, a couple of things. Castle Rock Season 2 is up on Hulu. Uh I'm a couple of weeks behind the ball on that one. It's I think it has six episodes up now. Yeah. It is... I don't know why I keep coming back to this show. <laughs> I know why. I keep coming back to the show because Stephen King, and it's a show made by Stephen King nerds, specifically for Stephen King nerds. It's right. basically an Easter egg hunt the whole time you're watching it. It's it's just good enough. If you remember NBC Heroes way back I, in the uh, day. Yeah, that was it one was, I did not watch. It was just good enough that it made you want to come back and watch the next episode to find out what happened. But the whole time you're watching it, you're like... This isn't good. Yeah. This isn't this isn't quite there. It's not coming together all the way. Right. Uh, Castle Rock season two kind of leaves behind everything that was done last season and focuses on Annie Wilkes, which is the character from Misery. Uh-huh. And she's on the run and has a daughter, and she makes her way into Castle Rock and gets stuck there. 
And it's just, it starts pulling from Stephen King short stories and some Stephen King novels and just sort of weaves a tale. Uh, to its credit, it, it does a lot of subversion where what you would expect, you would expect Annie to be the kind of character that, oh, she's going to end up with somebody tied to a bed and uh, barking at them about their morality and wanting them to write a book for her. Yeah. But it completely flips that around and does some some different things with that. Um, but but aside from those few moments, there's just a not there's not a lot there. Right. There was one episode. The last episode I watched was actually really good, but it's almost entirely in the past, and so you're finally getting Annie's backstory and, and where she's come from. That was really well done and almost felt like a completely different writing team, directing team, but it focuses solely on this one story instead of this town that's a collection of stories right. being mashed together, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so for, for one shining moment, it really works. But I know next episode, it's going to hop right back to Castle Rock and it's going to be like, oh, I remember that from Graveyard Shift. Yeah. And oh, ho, 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 look at that. There's a little it reference and oh, yeah. there's needful things. And it, it just turns into that and it, it really loses me. Yeah. I, but I'm going to keep watching. Yeah. I tried that show. I watched maybe two episodes. and. Yeah just did not grab me and haven't come back to it. We've talked about before kind of that difference between something that feels like a network show and then something that feels more naturalistic. Right. And this definitely has some just network show-ness to it uh, in the acting style and in some of the the cuts to commercial, even though there's no commercials on Hulu. This is never going to be on a format where there's commercials, but yet it still has these commercial breaks where it ends with one reaction from an actor, commercial break, and then it picks up, but it's a different reaction from that actor doing the same line. Yeah. And it just, it's it's very strange. It, it feels a little outdated in its its presentation. Yeah, we talked about that with that show Jack Ryan on Amazon, yep. that, where that feels like a network show that's now given the freedom that maybe it doesn't really need. Yeah. Think, now, yeah. on the other end of things is the other show I'm watching, which is decidedly not a network show, uh, which is End of the World on Netflix. It's in its second season. And End of the effing world. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, and it, it is. It's F asterisk asterisk asterisk. Um, but that show is fantastic. Yeah. I I just eat up every minute of it. It's a nice, crisp 20, 25 minutes per episode. It's dark, but it's not dark for dark's sake. It actually presents something fairly dark, some fairly dark characters, and then starts to investigate them and then dissect them and figure out what makes them tick. And there's there's just enough humanity and, and emotion underneath of them that it just keeps me hooked every episode and yeah. kind of drags me to the next one. Did I, you finish that? I did finish yeah. it. It was eight or nine episodes and I watched it in two chunks. Um which almost felt like watching two movies. It was about two-hour chunks, and that worked really well. And um, the actors are great in it. The writing is really on point. And it's it's just a show that it really captures that thing. And it's not just teenagers, but I remember it distinctly when I was a teen. You would be talking with somebody, and you would have a very particular emotion, or you would have something going through your brain. And for some reason, your stupid teenage mouth could not put it into words. Whether it was fear or insecurity, whatever it was, there was like this giant wall in front of you, and what you wanted to say could not come out. And this show is that. 80% 80% of the time. You can see all over their faces what they want to say. There are these great little cutaway looks 
and things that you as, as the, the viewer are privy to, but the other characters don't get to see it. But you get to understand, here's exactly what this kid is going through, and, uh, but then what comes out of his mouth. And you can see on his face, it's frustrating to him or her that whatever they just said was not what they wanted to do right. or not what they were going for. And just, just that feeling of people trying to communicate but just passing each other by uh, is so well done. Uh, and it, it just gives you enough story to, to weave all that together without being too much. It's it's really really good. Yeah, um, I watched the first season. I really liked it. Haven't got to the second yet, but looking forward to it. And season two is much smaller uh, in scope. It's not as kind of grand and, and road trippy as yeah. the first season. Um, but it really finds somehow, even though the the story is much smaller, it finds a lot more character work to dig into. And I always appreciate that. Yeah. So. I think I told you about there was an, another Netflix uh, British series that was um, came out a couple. Well, it might have came out a couple years ago and Netflix just picked it up last year. But called The, um, the Flowers or Flowers. Yes. And uh, it feels kind of like a spiritual like companion to that show where there's this. It's a comedy, but it's also it's really dark and sad, and it's just about this family, kind of like a Royal Tenenbaum style family, who they're all talented in their own way, but dysfunctional and dealing with mental illness. And um, yeah, it, I highly recommend that one too. That it kind of it's, I felt like a nice companion to that show. Mm. Yeah, and British, I know they just have a sensibility that is really interesting. Yes, and make really interesting choices that we don't tend to do. I, I appreciate the structure of this season too. It, it doesn't just tackle everything head on. It picks up two years after the first season and feels like a legitimate two years later, not in a way that's a, a writing trick or, or technique or just to string you along or give you a hook, but it actually feels like this is where the story is and where the, the characters are. Um, it just it's well done top to bottom. Yeah. So definitely give that a try. Oh, for and then sure. Last thing that I watched this week, I'm not going to talk very much about because we're going to review it next week. Uh, but is Jennifer Kent's Nightingale? Now Jennifer Kent did or Kent did the Babadook, Babadook, uh, which is a fantastic horror movie that does not rely on slime coming out of the walls, but no, makes you want to crawl into a ball and hide. Just a small child who will stress you out to no end. It's true. Yeah. Uh, but Nightingale is not. A traditional, it's not a supernatural horror movie. It's, uh, it's about a woman who goes through all kinds of frontier madness in the Australian frontier uh, way back when. I can't even say I could tell you what year. Mm -hmm. But uh, what this woman goes through, it's just one of those movies. Right. And it's, it's a revenge thriller, but not in the, the typical sense of a revenge thriller. And uh, everything about it is very well done. I am still working on wrapping my head around the last half hour, which it's just one of those things where I was with it, I was with it, I was with it, last half hour it hit, and I don't know if I like the choices made mm. in that last half hour. So I'm going to watch it again before we review it. And I'm, I'm curious, especially that third act, how you react to it your first time. I'm, I'm curious how I react to it my second time through. Does a bug-eyed Bigfoot show up? No, no oh, bug-eyed Bigfoots. And certainly no viruses that the lead actress is immune to. So I think you'll be That's okay. A shame. I'm not going to oversell this one to you. Okay. Don't worry. Well, I was looking forward to see it. And so I'm not going to blame you if my expectations were 
out of whack. It, it had a couple of horror stories coming out of when it screened at different film festivals of people walking out, not because of the quality of the film, but because of how disturbing and, um, and whatnot some of the, uh, the rape scenes and, and some of the, the horrors that befall her, um, how intense those are. They're not graphic. Which yeah. I appreciated. I was worried when I had heard that that it was going to be very graphic, and it's not graphic at all. It it really um, puts you into her mindset and where she's at, uh, and that was another thing. I was I was glad for that. I I was worried it was going to almost feel exploitive. And right. It, well, it coming from all. a female female director, I feel like she would have a better handle of a situation like that. That was that film. was my hope yeah. because typically when there's a, a male assaulting a female in a film. And it's a male director. They really focus on the the visual of it, right? Which I, I noticed that when female directors tackle that, it it's much more of a trend towards uh, really focusing on the character's face, what's happening in their mental yeah. state, the emotional, uh, the emotional yeah. impact of it, rather than the physical act, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably a whole other discussion in itself. But I figure we'll probably end up talking about that very thing next week. Um, but it was it was definitely it was just beautifully made and definitely worth watching. I'm just like I said, I'm still mulling over that last act. It's it's by no means disappointing. It was just one of those things where it builds you towards a certain expectation and then it does very different things. Yeah. And you know my problem with that. That always takes me a while to adjust to because I'm very much about, oh, the trajectory of a film has taken me here, now give it to me. Right. Why are you not giving me what your trajectory you know suggested and so i've i've got to work through that i've got to grow as a person really mm-hmm. i've got to yeah. i got to come around and and stop being so um you mean, small minded yeah you need to turn into a big boy not a little boy <laughs> oh jeez a big boy viewer yeah well speaking of big boy viewers this week i downloaded <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect transition we that was an alley oop you slammed it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's that's what I do. Uh, this week, I excitedly downloaded Disney Plus, uh, like a child, yes. uh, and got way too excited about it. I realized <laughs> once I downloaded it and paid my 7 or $8, um, I logged on, and I was like, okay, give me, give me, give me the stuff. And I got what in there. What were you hoping for? I don't know. <laughs> I think what it was, they, they were very... Very shrewd in yeah. teasing all the things that are coming to this service. And so somewhere in my brain just heard $8 a month and I get all these new Star Wars series they're making and all these new Marvel series they're making. And I knew on some level these things don't come until 2020, 2021. But still my brain when logging in was like, I've got so much to watch. And I don't. I had The Mandalorian, one episode. And mm-hmm. I had some weird Jeff Goldblum series. Yeah. I mean, it's Jeff Goldblum. It's got to be gold. I'm going to watch it. It's got to be Goldblum. But. <laughs> oh <my goodness>. Wow. <laughs> it's got all the Star Wars movies on there. It does, but I have all the Star Wars movies yeah. on my shelf. Uh, every, you the, know, as I was going through and, and looking, yeah, as I was going through and looking at the movies. Uh, to get excited about, I was like, "Oh, I I have all these." Yeah, I don't really own any of those, so I guess uh, so you like, own what I own. What's mine is yours, Clint. <laughs> you have used my movie shelves as a uh, as your own it's for true. a long, long time. Yeah. 
So our collection of movies already has what Disney Plus has to offer. That's true. But no, it, it, I essentially had one episode of Jeff Goldblum talking, I kid you not, about the history of sneakers. Did you watch it? I did, oh, I and didn't. it was fascinating. Yeah, I bet, yeah. Not because it was a particularly good show, but because anything that Jeff Goldblum says is instantly more interesting yeah. than what somebody else might say. Yeah. Just the way he says it. Yeah. Uh, if season two is like Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Walken, I'm set. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Plus has my money. Uh, for That's now. All the content they have is yeah. them just talking about slacks. Yeah. For now, I, I scramble to subscribe to it, and, and we'll see. We'll see yeah. if I actually hold on to I it. I got it, too. Month after month, I may just pop back once they start dropping some of the other yeah. series. But for right now, uh, it just, I don't know what it was. It was like, you know, Christmas morning, and you rush downstairs, and you open stuff, and just that present isn't there. Yeah, I, I just didn't know what it was going to have to begin with, so mm. I didn't have any of that expectation besides The Mandalorian popping up on there. So, I think if I was 8 to 17, oh, yeah. I'd be out of my mind right now. My, that was my first thought. I was like, man, my sister definitely needs to get this for my niece because, yeah. I mean, it's got everything that she would love. Yeah. I mean, it is Disney. I mean, now, that's what you expect. Really. I am excited, though. It does have the full Gargoyle series. It has the oh. full Darkwing Duck series. Yeah. Do you remember Darkwing oh, Duck? Oh, yeah. I love Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. Gargoyles, on the other hand, I like that show, yeah. but... In our Christian household, my mother would not let me watch it. Gargoyles? Yeah. Gargoyles are on, like, cathedrals and protect churches. And Tell that to my mom. I'm not talking to your mom about this. Are you I'm going to call her up. Here she comes. All right. Here we go. Hey, Dorothy. How's uh, it going? She's not picking up. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. She, because they're coming to life. So you've never some, seen Gargoyles? I have. I would, oh, okay. like, sneak a couple episodes here and there. But Clint. It wasn't. Your mother. They'll tell her. Okay. <laughs> She won't pick up. Don't worry. <laughs> so, yeah, I uh, didn't they they have all the Simpsons on there. All the Simpsons are yeah. on there. And part of I think me they wants have the X-Men to series? go back through the old X-Men yeah. animated series. That's the stuff where I was now intrigued. Yeah. And that's where it'll it'll probably catch me after uh, watching some of the other new stuff. Because yeah. it goes fast. Like I said, I'm already done this week. All the new stuff that I was excited about. So, yeah. And then things I wasn't. So did you watch The Mandalorian? I watched The Mandalorian. All right. You want to you wanna give The Mandalorian a little bit of a review right now? Yes. I have strong <laughs> thoughts about The Mandalorian. Do you have strong thoughts? Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess they're mildly strong. So mildly strong. Mine are very strong. I want to hear them. Well, I want to hear yours first because you I think can't yours start are very much... strong and then go to mildly strong. But I think... I think yours are going to be a lot stronger than mine. Probably. Okay, I think I was just fine with it. You were fine with it? Yeah. What were What were you most fine with? What did you enjoy? I liked the world okay. and the creatures and the practicality of a lot of the mm-hmm. creature effects and stuff. I was The story I thought was really lame. Yeah. yeah. I, I was so underwhelmed. I saw it pop up and I was like, oh, it's only like 39 minutes long. Yeah. And to like be the flagship show of this ser- of this new streaming channel, and it's like thirty nine minutes. The story is there's not there's nothing. Yeah, I was really underwhelmed by the story. Yeah, I I was underwhelmed by pretty much everything. Yeah, there were a couple of things that really stuck out to me. This is Star Wars. Yeah, so Star Wars carries with it certain uh, things that you you instantly. Ooh, that's what sweeps me up into Star Wars. And and number one right off the bat, even though it has nothing to do with 
the story or the characters, the music. The music was so I noticed, disappointing I to noticed me. that at the end when I kind of dawned on me, it was like, yeah, it doesn't have any of the music. Like, I, I think it was during the credits where I kind of really yeah. dawned on me. And like, it didn't even have that soaring quality. And yeah. I, I I need it to be different. It's, it's a very yeah. different kind of show. It's going for kind of a dark Western vibe out on yeah. the frontier. But at the same time, it just, it didn't even sound like a Star Wars score. No. It, ah. Uh, that so so that I started noticing almost from the beginning. Um, I liked I liked some of the production values and things like that. I was surprised when a speeder would roll up, how green screened it looked. I was going to say the same thing. Like some things felt really true to the holiday, like to the like, cinematic version, mm-hmm. but some things felt very low budget and small and made it feel very small. The first bounty he picks up is yeah. just talking in modern vernacular English. Yeah, yeah, with with almost a, a Jersey accent. Yeah, and. Just and as much my... as I love Horatio Sands, mm-hmm. like he didn't his character as the first bounty, yeah, he doesn't do any like character work at all. He's just no. Horatio Sands in green yep. face paint. Yep. Uh and just so so it it already right from the beginning, something just wasn't quite striking a chord with me. Um Taika Watiti comes in yeah. as the voice of a droid mm-hmm. uh that's Wildly underused. Brian Hussein was driving. He the was there, but thing. he just says his lines yeah. and then he's gone. And and even the story was just an exercise in convenience. Mm-hmm. It was a oh, the creature just happens to attack your ship while you're out on the ice, and yeah. oh, it just happens to take out the land speeder that got you here. And even the Mandalorian character, um, having him so just I cannot connect to him from at everything. All. Not at all, and it wasn't the mask. It was things like there's a giant creature attached to your ship and it's trying to destroy you, and you're just like, yeah. Okay, there's like no, well, he let didn't me have any dialogue. And, no, it. Uh, in the brief moment you get two thirds of the way, three quarters of the way through, another very convenient moment where he starts having flashbacks to when he was young. Yeah. He, he makes uh, you know kind of references to being an orphan and things like that. Yeah. Uh, spoiler for the end of the episode. The bounty that that he's sent after is essentially an orphan. I get what they were going for. They're going for this powerful moment where he, this orphan, now this bounty hunter who never shows any mercy to one of his his bounties, suddenly he's faced with something that reminds him of his childhood and he can't do it. That's a really like thematically powerful idea. I didn't even think of that. Until... I didn't think of that until you're saying it now because I was so disconnected yep. from him as yep. a character. And like the scene you're talking about where they are showing his past in these flashbacks, mm-hmm. it's like uh, it was kind of I didn't have any emotional response to that. It was almost no. like, oh, OK, so he's an orphan. Yeah. Because that's the only thing we know about him. And it was, it, you know, I'm just like it was I was thinking about it today. I was like, why? Why does it matter? Like, Why was he willing to kill a fellow bounty hunter? to protect this little orphan. Yeah. And I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. And then it kind of hit me. But even then, it just made me more disappointed in the show because, man, set that up. Give me... For sure. Instead of him being such a, a faceless drone, he was more robotic than I know. the robot. Yeah. The robot had way more He had so much more character than, yeah. 
And you have it's it's Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Who is a fantastic actor. I know. He was just in Prospect. He was a highlight in Game of Thrones uh, when he played the Viper. He's done some really good work. And so just to hide him behind that helmet and put him in did you notice how he walked even? Yeah. Just very clunky. I mean I didn't I I probably knew at some point that that's who was playing it yeah. and I didn't until I watched the credits because he didn't there was nothing of him in it. Like yeah. his voice, like he was doing more of a straight, like almost American accent. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, I just I had no connection to him. I hope it's just a, a wobbly first episode. Uh, I noticed at the end the director was Dave Filoni. He's the one that did the Clone Wars animated series. He did the the Rebels animated series and the animated series that that have cropped up on uh, first Warner and now Disney. And same thing happened in his series where the first episode or two always felt very wooden and stocky and then would suddenly kind of take on a life of its own. So I'm curious if this does that. I really hope it's just I almost had to quite know where to start it. Yeah, that's and you would think that they would have really put a lot of work into that with it's just it was rolling out. It it almost felt if it wasn't for the 39 minutes, it almost felt like a Blu-ray that comes out and it has like a little five-minute short yeah, film for sure. with a character where it's like, oh, here's their backstory. Yeah. It almost felt like me to me that I, it made me think, is this show episodic? Yeah. Because it didn't really hint at where it was going in no. any way. No. So big disappointment out of the gate for me. Uh, almost to the point, if, if it stays at that level... I don't. I don't even know if I finish it. It just, sure. which I can't believe I'm yeah. saying about Star Wars. Yeah, because I'm just such a Star Wars nut. But ugh. I was, yeah, I was so like meh with it. But yeah. I, I like I said, I did like the production value of a yeah. lot of like the practical yeah. effects and stuff. I like the costumes. Yeah. I, I love the the I prosthetics liked the and casting the of some and, of the extra characters, mm-hmm. even though they had nothing to do. Yeah. yeah. Now it did have one thing that I can't blame it for because I blame every Star Wars movie for this. Since Empire Strikes Back got it right, I've even mentioned it on here before. Why does Star Wars insist on giving us characters that ride animals? <laughs> I don't understand. When I was a kid, I did not want a Tauntaun figure, even though the Tauntauns still look awesome. I wanted a speeder bike from Return of the Jedi. Well, I wanted not the everyone vehicles. everyone can afford a speeder bike. But give me a cool vehicle. I cannot believe, I, I swear to you, in the middle of this series. They did series, look like giant sperm. They did. <laughs> and in the middle of this first episode, Nick Nolte has an yeah. Ugnaught who has, like, I cannot believe that that's Nick Nolte, but not because he does a, a good or a bad job, but just like, that's it. That's what you use Nick Nolte for. Yeah. But it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you have to learn how to ride this animal to cross this. And then it proceeds to very clumsily, he learns how to ride this animal. He goes across this horrid landscape and he could have just walked there. He could have ridden there. There was nothing about that creature well, the or about cre- the landscape that suggested he needed that stupid... I I think the creature was helping him get across those chasms. Where? Where? Those big crack cracks in the I, landscape. Maybe you were distracted playing with action figures. And in <laughs> well, your I action figure imagination, to, they Star were doing Wars. these big hops or something a speeder couldn't do. But the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, just fly over there. You What's... know when I watch Star Wars, I have to have my figures. I know. I know. But anyway, if Star Wars could stop 
having people climb on CG animals, it would make me so much They looked better than most things. They did. The horse creatures, it, they looked a much, much the better. The casino than, horses? They looked yeah. a lot better than those. But in the long shots, the long shots where it bothered me because every time somebody rides one of those creatures, they, they either look CG or they, they do look they like a dog inferno around yeah, a little bit. They don't look natural, yeah. and my eye goes to it every time, and I instantly don't believe in the creature. No matter how real the creature looks, if there's a disconnect between rider and creature, I just... <laughs> but anyway, I was I was an absolute cantankerous adult watching this thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure my son will love it, and I'll have to sit there and smile and be like, yeah, it's, yeah that, that, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just, I hope it gets better. Me too. Uh, Werner Herzog was a Werner? was a nice. He actually, I was okay there. Yeah, I like the kind of even dusty, though he has, doesn't have a character name. Yeah, I was, but I liked the the dusty, yeah. you know, post Return of the Jedi stormtroopers, which yeah. I actually had to go digging to find out when this even takes place. It takes place right after Return of the Jedi. Okay, okay, that's helpful. Uh, I liked I liked that scene. I liked the whole scientist character and yeah. you know putting some intrigue into it. But then it it lost me again. Mm-hmm. Sure and did. Little orphan at the end was super cute. I'm like, oh. But I guarantee you, 50% of the people that watch this series are going to be like, wait, so this takes place when Yoda is a boy? I guarantee you. Yeah, I I probably had the same thought when I was watching it. I had the thought, and I knew when it took yeah. place, and I was instantly like, wait, so yeah. just right, right in my head. It's just like a, a Yoda prequel? Wait, no, it's not a Yoda prequel. But that's what my brain did, so I, I guarantee you, little kids all over the planet. It'll win me back if maybe he takes the Yoda as a bounty and puts it in carbonite. <laughs> and he's going to sell it off. He's like, oh, this is valuable. Baby carbonite. He was yeah. just taking out the other bounty hunter because he was... Yeah, he's like, oh, this is worth a lot of money. done with this? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to come back for episode two. Yeah, I will too. But, ooh. Yeah, it's no Watchmen. No. No, it is, it is no Watchmen. No. No. Mm-mm. No. Disney Plus is no HBO. No. It's just simply TV. It's it's simply TV? Yeah, because when you're watching HBO, it's it's not TV. Yeah. It's, it's something else, mm-hmm. uh, but not TV. It's not TV, it's HBO. I think that's what, I think. Um, yeah, we're going to put that on a t-shirt. I think so. I think so. Mm-hmm. It's It's not TV. It's definitely Disney Plus. There you go. It's the Mandalorian. Don't like that. (laughs) All right. So anyway, enough of the Mandalorian. My heart is broken enough. Let's do some movie reviews. Okay. Up first, uh, we went and saw Terminator Dark Fury. And Terminator Dark Fury is the fifth Terminator movie in the franchise. Sixth? Sixth. It's definitely the sixth. But it wipes out of existence Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, uh, Terminator 4, insert subtitle here, and Terminator 5, Genesis. And uh, it goes back and sort of resets everything. Yeah. And it finds a, an older Sarah Connor catching up with um, some some new future freedom fighters and mm-hmm. trying to protect them from a new and improved, uh, if you squint hard enough, you see double Terminator. Clint, what did you think of Terminator Dark Fury? How... Do I give the audio equivalent of a just one thumb down? <laughs> <laughs> the two is sideways. That's so yeah. yeah. I I it was 
uneventful. I mean, it just kind of... It's the kind of movie yeah. where you struggle for words. Yeah. It really... When we came out of the theater... It was like, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It was on the screen. I was witnessing it. <laughs> like a car accident. Yeah. I saw it. I slowed down to watch it. But it wasn't it. bad enough where I should call the cops. Whereas, like, they got out and they handled it themselves and exchanged it's insurance. Like, okay. Yeah. I was like, and oh. Then you sped up and moved on. Yeah. Trying yeah. to forget about it. Yeah. I was like... You that's go and a, tell your wife, like, oh, I saw an accident. Yeah, the and cops didn't show up. That's a pretty good description. It it actually, it had me for all of two minutes, three minutes. Yeah, that, me too. At, at the opening, um, and just fair warning, spoilers are about to abound. Uh, but Red flashing spoiler red lights. spoiler. Yeah. Right at the beginning, um, you catch up with a young Sarah Connor and John Connor right after T2. I thought they did They're a pretty the good beach, job with that. Somewhere like on an yeah. island, maybe the Bahamas. And lo and behold, Skynet had sent back multiple Terminators. Mm-hmm. And one of them tracks them down and just shoots John Connor. And I'm thinking, dream sequence, no. This is this is how they're wiping out Terminator 3 and everything after. Yeah. Uh, bold move. Very yeah. bold move. I thought it looked really good. I thought the de-aging was really I thought convincing. that was probably the best de-aging I've scene it was really good yeah uh schwarzenegger looked a little yeah uh uh, when he hit the sun but man uh linda hamilton and And um oh edward furlong like young eddie furlong yeah yeah that was really convincing that that gave me hope for it yeah that scene um however after that apparently they spent the majority of their effects budget there because everything after that while the action was well choreographed, while the action was yeah. very intense and I enjoyed the action, yeah. I kept my eye kept getting drawn to how video game the CG was. Yeah. And it, it it was good CG, but there was just something about the weight and the movement. You could tell the minute an effect shot and there was a body double. I feel like it got worse over. as it went on too. Yeah. I feel like the first opening scenes like in the factory and the mm-hmm. big car um, chase, I feel like that was relatively good Mm -hmm. like i was invested maybe it was as it was going on i was just getting worn down from it because that's all it ended up being was just an action piece after an action piece Mm -hmm. but i don't know now i mean the big thing i had looked forward to is oh linda hamilton is back here comes sarah connor Mm -hmm. uh how how did you react to the performance there i already know your answer but Uh, wooden. (laughs) Weirdly wooden. Yeah. This is the woman who, in T2, I am still, when I watch that movie, I'm edge of my seat for this mom. Yeah. She is just, um, she is as much machine in Terminator 2 with a heart, but I mean, she is just, uh, ready to kill for this boy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I never felt in Terminator Dark Fury any real emotional connection to her. And I felt like I was watching a performance the whole time. Yeah. And I could understand that maybe from a little bit for a character, like, um, being like that. Because mm-hmm. she's just dealt with this her whole life. And yeah. she's just hardened by the experience of her son being killed and having to, like, be ready for the next Terminator to come back yeah. for some reason. And she's just been readied. So she's just in that mindset. But what they gave her to do with that was so wooden and like she's just giving these one-liner quips the whole time that are not funny in any way or adding to the scenes and so she's just kind of there being i don't know bad yeah it was (laughs) it just 
it, it didn't work for me. And so right from the get-go, I am turned off to these characters. I'm not invested in their plight. Yeah. By the time it decides, you know what the second act needs, and really the Terminator franchise as a whole, I think it would be uh, responsible for this movie franchise, thought someone, probably James Cameron, to tackle the immigration uh, yeah. debate. And yeah. let's just take, and the Terminator movie is going to take a moment going to pause uh-huh. and it's going to interject its thoughts on immigration and do you know what its thoughts were a big shoulder shrug that's, that's what i know i couldn't tell what i it was, was waiting for them to, to make their big statement and it was just like oh no they happen to just be yeah. these um mexican or they're are they, are they mexican yeah. Yeah. yeah and which i'm fine with but uh like it seemed like it was setting something up I would have been fine with a statement either way. I wasn't looking for it to be political. I didn't need it to align no, with no. my political beliefs. It was just it one just of those, felt like, like it was coming. say something. Yeah. But it didn't. Yeah. And it, it was such a strange choice. And yeah. I get that they had to get across the border. But, oh, my goodness, there's 112 different ways to make that uh, more interesting than, yeah. than what they Yeah, and I'm totally, I would have been totally fine if, oh, it just happens to be that this new savior is a Mexican citizen but it just how they were doing it, it felt like yeah. they were setting something up. Yeah. And especially with the crossing the border and but it, yeah, like I, we just said, it never comes. No. But what does come is Arnold Schwarzenegger who shows up and for a brief moment again, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is having a good time. Mm-hmm. And he's actually there, there are a few roles where you're like, Arnold Schwarzenegger can actually act. Uh-huh. And for some reason, the Terminator is one of them. Yeah. Um, he he finds a lot to do in essentially what needs to be a wooden performance. But he finds ways to make it interesting it, or fun. It or, felt or more it human is. than... Way more human. Yeah, way more natural. Sarah Connor. I, I, I wasn't a big fan of, of some of the story choices they made there. Yeah. He, he felt like the butt of a joke uh-huh. rather than a really... Um, kind of deep story point as to when does something stop being a machine and become, you know, more human right. and, and how does AI work? And it really could have done something very interesting there with the face of this kind of, you know, beloved icon in this franchise. But no, just drapery They jokes. do give him the best joke, though. They do. They yeah. do. Even um, though maybe in the context of the rest of the film it doesn't work, but maybe. it was the one part... They made me giggle a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like the relentlessness of the new Terminator, but at the same time, uh, they would overpower him, and then he would catch up, and then they would have to very quickly underpower him so that the yeah. humans could feasibly yeah. get away. And the the scene where the movie, I just instantly am like, yep, I'm done, mm-hmm. was when they are in the airplane. I didn't tell you, but I was literally falling asleep during that scene. <laughs> I was like, checked wow. out. They're in the airplane. Yeah. The airplane is in, is is crashing. Yeah. Uh, it's being torn apart by this other plane. The Terminator's on board. I didn't mind that the Terminators, the two Terminators, are being thrown everywhere. I didn't mind that the enhanced human played by uh, What's-Her-Face from... Yeah, uh, I like... 
She did Mackenzie really Davis well. Mackenzie Davis is um, Grace. Yeah. I kind of liked, uh, well, I'll let you finish your thought. No, no, no. She's, let's talk about her for a second because she's shooting way above this, this script. Yeah. She was doing much better with the material, even though it crams in the stupid, oh, now you need water and things like that just yeah. to give her a weakness. Yeah, but a she did really well with it. Yeah. And I, I believed her. I kind And I kind of like the idea that she's this enhanced human because mm -hmm. yeah. I guess they thought that would be more trust, like dependable than yeah. or this robot they're sending back. Yeah. So I like that idea. Yeah. But There should have been three levels to this plane, though. Okay. The plane should have been... Uh, these Terminators, the pure Terminators, not flinching at the fact that this plane is flipping around and burning and falling apart at all. Yeah. They're just focused on the task at hand and they're moving ahead. They're affected by physics, but they don't care. They're not going to die. They're not going to get hurt. And if they do, they're machines. They have no concept of mortality. Then in the middle, second level, you should have uh, the Mackenzie Davis character. Yeah. Who is, she's able to do a lot more. But at the same time, she's still vulnerable. She's still susceptible to pain and, and different things like that. And then you should have you want your, to vomit. <laughs> your human characters that are just holding on for dear life, puking yeah. and it's just like, oh, passing yeah. out and somebody having to grab them because yeah. they can't handle the, the force of the, the plane force, plummeting. Yeah. Um, all of this should be happening. But for a brief and shining moment, all of the people on this plane are superhuman. Yeah. And I hated it. In yeah. that moment, I really hated the movie. And I was just like, oh, it's this. Mm -hmm. Terminator 2 would have never had that scene. No. Terminator 2 has some borderline over-the-top action scenes, but you always feel like the Terminator moves forward and is able to handle these things, and the humans are always at a disadvantage. They're always running. They're always cowering. They're always hiding. They're always... He's trying to keep them safe. Yeah. That plane scene... Ugh. That was the thing about the original and two is where you really feel like there's almost this like death following you, yeah. like that you're trying to escape and you like it's right. The on inevitability. Your, yeah. And it's yeah. right on your tail. It's the same thing like a good zombie film yep. has. And um, and you really feel that like that chase and that pressure that this is it's it, uh, it's going to happen. It's it's after me. And this I didn't feel that at all. Like, yeah. I didn't feel that inevitable and looming death coming. And then finally, by the end, last complaint, although there are many uh, that I'm not even going to go into. But at the end, uh, you know, our survivors are happy. People have sacrificed their lives. The Terminator is defeated. And they're like, yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, you didn't do anything. Yeah. You didn't stop the apocalypse or, or, or the extinction of mankind from happening. You stopped one robot. Yeah. And that, that's the that's whole it. problem with this film is like it. the beginning of it kind of sets up that things are set right. Yeah. And then it's like, no, there's a, just a whole new looming threat yeah. of this robotic apocalypse. And it's like, oh, so then none of that meant anything. Yeah. So, and that's that's franchise-wise, I think that's the Terminator's biggest downfall, yeah. is that it increasingly feels like since T2, it means nothing. Yeah. T2 had real weight, mm -hmm. uh, and it had real consequences, and everything since, that's, that's what those movies struggle with. Yeah. And maybe it's because they stay so attached to what's come before, they stay attached to the Connors, but... I, I, it was it was just very disappointing. 
What was the one with Christian Bale? That was Salvation. That yeah. was four. I thought that one was like not terrible. That's the one people really get down on, and I thought it was better than Rise of the Machines. Yeah, because I like that they were trying to tell a different part of the story, even yeah. if it doesn't completely succeed. It's like, well, we haven't really spent time in the future and what yeah. like I I it's been I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater but it may be terrible but I remember it's not terrible and yeah. to its credit the humans are human right they get hurt yeah they die John Connor is not invincible mm-hmm. um, that's the whole point of, of the ending where he's mortally wounded and they right. have to do something to save him um, but yeah I I don't know I I came out and I was not Happy I spent my two hours and $12 watching that. Yeah. Okay, so from one to Predator, where does it fall for you? Predators. Is it Predators? Predator. Predator. The Predator. The Predator. predator. Um, So what's my scale now? One to Predator. One to (laughs) Predator. What's in between one and Whatever you want it to be. Predator is like, seems to be your like top tier of awful Dark Fury, it, it is. Dark Fury is not offensive. Yeah. It's just not good. No, it's it's not even. It's not terrible. Bad. Where it's, it's, it's entertaining. Really, I guess. Yeah. If if you just want an action movie, there's some good action sequences. Uh, it's, yeah, it's way less uh, mindful than it thinks it is. Yeah. Uh, it's not the Predator. No. The Predator was just let's get in and uh, mess with things. To, I don't. I don't know what the Predator was trying to accomplish. It. Dark Fury is not the Predator. Dark Fury is just a disappointment. Yeah. I just wanted to try out that scale and see. No, we can. You need something on the other end of that scale, instead of one, <laughs> one to the predator. No. Yeah. That's how is... math works. <laughs> okay. Four minus one equals the predator. predator. <laughs> All right. Well, up next is one that we had kind of the reverse of. Um, at least I did. We went and saw Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Dr. Sleep is the sequel to The Shining. It picks up some 30 years or so later uh, with an adult, Danny Torrance. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has survived the events of the Overlook Hotel, and he has grown up to to retain the powers that he has, but he has a lot of struggles. Uh, It's kind of the basic plot of that. Yeah. The struggles of his father, too. Yeah. We went into this one, and with the opposite, I think I went into Terminator much more hopeful. And thinking it was going to be something special. Whereas Dr. Sleep, I was much more reserved and like, I don't know that The Shining needs a sequel. I had even read the book, Dr. Sleep, and came out of that feeling like, I don't know that that story needed to exist. And so I went into the movie with low expectations. I know you definitely went into the movie I with low no expectations. I had no expectations, yeah. Zero. I, yeah, I was, well, probably low to negative because just my love of The Shining. So... Ye who has love of The Shining. Uh, what was your impression of Dr. Sleep? Well, um, it really won me over. And I actually really liked this film. And I was totally surprised. I was surprised how much I loved the film. Yeah. I was more surprised that you loved it. Yeah. There was there was a moment where I looked over at you in the dark of the theater. And I'm like, okay, what's Clint thinking? <laughs> I was because doing the same thing with you. I was, I was really I was enjoying like, it. I hope he's where I'm at with this. Yeah. Because I really want to be excited about this afterwards. I was fully invested. And yeah. I'm like, is it just me? And suddenly, you know, and I kind of peek over at you. And you've got this broad <laughs> grin on your face. Not like happy grin. Because yeah. it's, it's got some pretty terrible stuff in it some pretty horrific stuff it goes for it it really gets dark 
So it wasn't that kind of a grin. It was the grin of somebody who was just like, oh, thank goodness. I can't believe goodness. I'm loving this right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. So it's let's start with its relationship to The Shining. Right. Uh, how did you feel it handled the baggage, the burden, the the legacy of Kubrick's movie? I thought it handled it amazingly. Oh. I, well, I thought the trailers had me really worried because I was afraid it was going to be really heavy with Shining um, things that it was going to tie into this film. And I really loved how it was kind of bookended by mm -hmm. The Shining. So it opens with young Danny right after the aftermath of what takes place in The Shining. When he's at home with Wendy yeah, and they're when they, safe they're off the, Yeah, they're out of yeah. uh, the Overlook and they're kind of getting back into the flow of normal life. And I really appreciated they did not try to do some de-aging yes. or, or not de-aging, but just like um, CG versions of little Danny and Wendy. They just got new actors who yeah. had a similar look were, and weren't doing impressions, really, but just doing their version of it, saying true. Still with the same character quirks. Yeah, but you not tell it was that it. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Wendy, she did a really good job of just giving a hint mm -hmm. of the um of the original and i really appreciated it for that like, oh well i didn't think they were gonna i just because they didn't really show any of that yeah. in the trailers yeah. so i was really like that was something i was really worried about was how they were going to handle tying that into this story and they they walk such a delicate like fine line and I can't believe they pulled it off. Like other people might completely disagree with me, but I was totally sold I loved by it. it. Yeah, I loved it. And at that point, I had, I had gone in having read the book, and I assumed I, I made a list in my head of the five things they were most definitely, without doubt, going to cut out. Yeah. And number one at the top of my list was this idea of the psychological palace or library mm -hmm. where Danny constructs these boxes to contain these ghosts that are coming back to haunt him. I'm like, that is the first thing they are in no way going to tackle. Yeah. Not only did they tackle that it was a major right up front. thing throughout the film. It was a major thing, and the visual yeah. was a major thing. They were very literal to the text. They yeah. were just like, no, this is we're going for it. And in that regard, from the beginning, I was like, they are taking the book more seriously and some of those out there Stephen King ideas than It Chapter 2 did. Mm -hmm. uh, and even It Chapter 1. I loved It Chapter 1. Yeah. Not so much It Chapter 2. Yeah. But they they always felt like in It, it felt like it would go up to the line of that really weird Stephen King kind of stuff. And yeah. it would stop. Mm -hmm. It was just like, nope, audiences can't do that. They can do the dancing clown. They can shapeshift but they can't go into other dimensions where we're going to fight this thing outside of reality. Yeah. This, this was just like, nope, let's, Danny has boxes in his brain that trap spirits. And even saying that, it sounds ridiculous. Well, I mean, I haven't read the book mm -hmm. and seeing it, it totally made sense yeah. to me as this, just this way to deal with this past trauma yep. and like, and to trap these things and, yeah. and, uh, Compartmentalize them in your mind so you're not always dealing with them. And it, it, I really like that. Visual. And it's exactly the kind of image and training that you would give to a little boy. Yeah. A little boy can understand boxes, put the bad thing in a box and lock the yeah. box. And that was such a good way to introduce it, mm -hmm. too, because he, they set it up with Danny as he's a kid and mm -hmm. um, 
Scatman <laughs> Carruthers, Carruthers yeah. uh, which he they did, did great. He was amazing. The guy who, uh, yeah, I I'm not sure the actor's name, name, but he, he was fantastic. He was fantastic. And it's such a good way to introduce that idea to the young child. So you're, you're learning it as he's learning it. Yep. And then it follows through the film. So you're already introduced to this idea. So you know what it's, what this means. Yeah. I really like that. Now, from there, we get to Ewan McGregor is an older Danny Torrance. Uh, he is very much the center of this film. Yeah. Uh, he's got a lot on his shoulders. He's got to, with his performance, uh, tap into a lot of the things that plagued his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his performance has to carry that. And it opens. He's very much an alcoholic. He was, that was another thing. He was, I was beaten like, down way more than I thought he was going to I be. I thought they were going to clean that up. Mm-hmm. I thought that was another thing that was second on my list. They're definitely person. getting, yeah, they're definitely getting rid of how unlikable Danny Torrance is when you first meet him. They dive right in. And yeah. Like, oh no, Danny's a mess. Yeah. He's like, yes, sleeping with like, uh, she's not a prostitute, but no. but uh, close ste- enough. Yeah, yeah, stealing her money yeah. and just like, yeah, he's on hard times. Yeah. He's yeah. just disheveled. He's got a black guy from a bar fight, and yeah. I yeah. thought, I thought from the trailer, it was gonna pick up where where it shows him in the trailer, mm-hmm. like he has a place to live. He's not, and he's already working at the, the hospital. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I thought. I too. thought, yeah. And so it was like, no, there, he's really on hard times. And yeah. I really liked that. It really showed the progression of the character and where he ends yeah. up. And so his performance, what was your take on how he did with that role? Well, I, I was, like I said, I thinking back on the beginning, I loved it. So it, at that, point where they're doing young Danny and everything, I'm, it's still winning me over. Mm-hmm. So what really wins me over is Ewan McGregor. Cause I, I love Ewan McGregor and everything I've probably ever seen him. And I think depending, even if the movie's not great, he's always really good. So he was really, I thought he did a great job and yeah. I, he was the one that was kind of ushering me into like slowly gain confidence in the film. Yeah. Yeah. By the time he is sitting down with uh, his dad mm-hmm. in in the Overlook, that scene at the bar oh. is is one of uh, not to exaggerate, but one of the best son dealing with the demons of his father yeah. scenes I have ever seen. It was it taps into the Shining in and a very with classy his, way. In his own problems of alcoholism, and when we get to that part, I, I have a I. But let's go ahead and talk no, about no, it. No, no, we don't have to jump to that far. Ahead. I just, I, I think that's so crucial to his performance. Yeah. Um, so, so go for it. Go, go for whatever you were going to say. Well, I, um, had just, I read a, it was a list of the, it was like six things that the, it was an interview with the director. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Um, Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Anyway, so he was talking about what things he changed in the film from the book mm-hmm. and he was talking about that scene and how that was such a hard thing to nail. It's like, how are we going to deal with recasting Jack Nicholson? And he was just talking about how what his goal was, was to not be trying to recast Jack Nicholson, but just casting for the bartender 
and filling that role. So the character, so the oh, director okay. does not, so the actor doesn't have to be trying to do this impersonation of Jack Nicholson, which he thought would just be terrible when nobody could do. So he doesn't even see him as Jack Nicholson or as um, he doesn't even John. think of himself as Jack. No, he, he thinks of himself as the bartender. Yep. And so he was just that was the whole main goal. Is like he is not John Johnny. He is. Um, just the bartender now. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that play between the bartender and his, like, he sees him as his father, but he's also putting, like, talking about how his addiction and, like, it, that's the whole underlying thing. There was so much yeah. going on in that scene. Mm-hmm. And that scene, I, I actually think this movie, and maybe it's speaking too soon because I haven't watched it enough, but I actually think there are, and that's one of them, I think there are three or four scenes in this movie that are actually going to make me love The Shining more. Yeah. And there's nothing you could say better about a sequel than it's going to make me appreciate uh, the original movie. For sure. And uh, I didn't expect those to lines do that about at all. suddenly with the medicine and what that actually means, mm-hmm. that has so much more weight now. And I, I just I loved everything about that. Yeah, me too. Now around Ewan McGregor, in addition to uh, kind of that scene. Uh, is this fantastic supporting cast. Yes. They're honestly... Everyone is great. There is not a weak spot no. in any of it. Even his, uh, kind of his sponsor and his friend mm-hmm. uh, that ends up tagging along on him trying to figure out what's real and what's not real. Even, I mean, he's doing a, a wonderful job. Yeah. That could have been a, a really cringy bit part. He's great. Uh, the actress who plays that little girl, Abra. She is great. She was so, yeah. That scene where she's chan or Kaylee you and McGregor, Katie Curran, Kaylee, Kaylee, yeah. When you and McGregor is possessing her in the car of the guy that's kidnapping her. Oh, that was such that a, scene. Yeah. She she was yeah. Man, she was really good. She really is. Yeah. I mean, not to jump too far ahead, we're going to end up talking about face off <laughs> like we promised here in a second. And this little girl does better uh, being you and McGregor than John Travolta <laughs> or Nicolas Cage <laughs> did playing each other. But I don't want to get too far ahead. Mm-hmm. She's wonderful. Uh, and then we get to uh, Rose the Hat and oh, the man. True Knot. Now, that this whole... is... I love Rose the Hat and the True Knot in the yeah. book. But in the book, I felt like, you know, oh, this should have just been its own story. I don't know that it needed to tie in with Danny Torrance and everything. The movie does, I think, in that regard, way better than the book. What was your impression of Rose and the True Knot? Well, that was... I mean, when they introduce her, like I said, that the movie's still winning me over, and that I'm unsure of what, um, how it's playing into everything. Mm-hmm. So, I, not knowing that, okay, the film is kind of bookended by The Shining. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how this is going to tie into all of that, knowing that it ends up at the Overlook. Right, so I don't know how if there's going to be more shining stuff to spread throughout the film. So it's going to like be flashing back to that, and there's going to also be the rose of the hat and the true knot. So it's uh, I wasn't sure how everything was going to mesh, but then how the film unfolds with, like I said, being bookended, and then the main story is just Ewan McGregor's Danny and the true knot, and there how they start to intertwine in their storylines. Um, uh, Oh, I lost my thought. But anyway, I did at the beginning. I wasn't sure what to think of her, mm-hmm. but as it unfolds, I I loved it. There's a scene, and it's it's much more brutal than in the book, 
when they it's hunt the- down and they kill this little boy that that they kidnap after a baseball game yeah. after a little league game that was uncomfortable to watch yeah it was it's it's probably one of the scariest things i've seen at least this year yeah. in a horror it movie. was like a true horror serial killer yeah. style murder yeah and i was not expecting it and that's no. like i think you said it too that's where it really won you over yep. and I was already getting sold on it, but that's where the movie really had teeth. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this it yep. means business, and it's not going to shy away from these topics. And like that, this is a you've got a band of child killers right. that are and specifically are, hunting out children yeah. because those children, The Shining, is more pure in right. them. And they went, and they're going to show it, and they're they mean business about it, yeah. and that uh, it really won me over when yeah. they went there. And and I guess the reason that was the moment where the movie had me the official moment yeah. was because so much is coming together in that moment. Uh, Abra is seeing this as it's happening. Yeah. Uh, she's crying out to Danny as a, it, it was, it was the, the crossroads where all of the yeah. different plot elements started to come together yeah. in such a confident way yeah. that I, that sitting there, I remember thinking they've got this. Mm-hmm. That's where I was like, it's got it. Everything is in line now. Yeah. And I was like, they would have to do something to really dumb to screw this up now because it just feels like a, such a straight path. It's like we know what the goal of everyone is right now. And so I was like, please nail. Like I was I was getting nervous. It's one of those movies by where you're getting yep. nervous by the end. Like are they going to land it? What are they going to do to yep. screw this up? Because it feels so easy, like like almost like, like a Breaking Bad thing where like that everything was set in motion with that show. I know this is kind of a weird side thing to talk about, but like it's so easy to land. Yeah. And how can you screw it up? And that's where but I was. Yeah. Shows and movies do it all the time. I know. And, and you don't see it coming, and then you're like, "No, yeah, guys, oh, why? Why no. did you do that?" And there was never that feeling in no, this. Yeah. This was so, um, man. Not to hop around more. I just things keep popping in my mind I that I loved about it. The scene where Rose flies oh. uh, and projects herself over to find Abra. Yep. And lands in Abra's room. Mm-hmm. And she's doing exactly what should be happening. The villain is is got the upper hand. Yep. She finds the wall similar to what Danny's constructed in Abra's like mind. She has like a filing wall. cabinet. Yeah. And in the middle of it is one that says me. Mm-hmm. And Rose is intrigued. Ooh, let me find out about this girl. And it's all a trap. Yep. Uh, and what follows is, again, going back to it would not do this. It Chapter 2 did not take these moments where it was just like, no, let's go weird. Well, okay, this uh, this now I'm, looks like I planned it all out. This ties back to, it's a stupid comparison, but Breaking Bad, where and it, I always love and I always am a sucker for a plan in motion. Yep. When there's a plan and you're not really aware of it until it snaps. And then you know all the pieces were there. Yeah. Like instantly your brain recognizes this is not 
this is organic. Yeah. This came from, oh, oh, I see yep. what you're doing. I and this it. film did it a couple times. Yeah. And I fell for it every time and I loved it every time. And like, yeah, Breaking Bad did that all the time. Yeah. And it's, they're not incomparable in any way, but just I had that feeling where it's, oh, I love, uh, it's after it happens, like, oh, I love when a film does that. It's, it's playing in motion. And here's a, a ancient monster psychically projecting itself to this little girl's bedroom. And this little psychic girl gaining the upper hand and completely thrashing this ancient evil monster. Yeah. And yet, when she hurls back into her body, <laughs> she flips off of that RV oh, so much with w- the most realistic so weight, weight and weight. pain. And and it, it was not just because we're reviewing Terminator, but I sat there and I remember thinking in the theater... Like, Terminator couldn't do this. Yeah. And this movie, with these whacked-out wild concepts and supernatural concepts, just landed the weight of an impact. In her hand, too. It. Yeah. Like, you... Where it was, it was almost degloving. Yeah, degloving. Which is funny, because he did Gerald's game. Yeah, I know. So he just loves... <laughs> it's the same it. effect. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, it's just, yeah, there's but, weight to the things that yeah. need to have weight. That, yeah. that whole sequence, visuals, music, yeah. uh, the way it played that chess match, match between the two of them was the, the filmmaking of this, just to step yeah. back, uh, was genius at times. Yeah. Even the interplay between the music, I was just where it would bookend that. with the original Shining yeah. music, but it would pull back and it yeah. had elements of it, but it was its own thing. But then, man, when they went back to the Overlook and that bomb, bomb, yeah, yeah. bomb. And, and also <sighs> with... There was just so many good, like, subtle homages to the original. Like, there's a scene where he is, Danny is uh, visiting his... Uh, I guess he's the AA runner, yeah. runs the AA in his office. And it's to get the, the job at the hospital. To get the job at the hospital. And that office is the same office from The, from the Shining. And I the need Overlook. to see a shot-to-shot comparison because... Oh, it's almost identical, well, if not dead identical. The director said, uh, I can't remember where it was, or he was on a podcast I think I was mm-hmm. listening to, and said he has, they had the blueprints from the original Overlook set. It was and they used the window and the tree, the way the light was coming through. It was the way he was sitting. It was yeah. the files on his desk, yeah. the camera angles. Mm-hmm. And if nobody had seen The Shining. window in the yeah, back. Yeah. If nobody had seen The Shining, they would have never known yeah. something was up. But, and it wasn't distracting. No, no. It was just a, such oh, a nice little touch. And there man. were other things, too, where just atmospheric things yeah. where they're coming back from finding the boy's yeah. body and just driving on these big, desolate open roads and just reminiscent of, like, the opening of The Shining where yeah. it's the, the helicopter flying in over the landscape with the, the car yeah. up going up the mountain and just, like, nice atmospheric things that tie into the original, but they're not overt. It's kind yeah. of like you just a feeling, and it's got yeah. that music that's um, referencing it. And, yeah, I was... Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I was there it. was there anything in it that underwhelmed you? Or the were you just on board with it all? I was on board with all of it. The only thing that when thinking back, and I'm, it's not even a big deal, and I know it's just how films are made now, is just some of the um, CG effects on the vampires dying. The cycling. That's this, exactly yeah, what I was going Which to say. I like the visual of that. Mm-hmm. And it's just with... Like with the other things we're talking about that had so much weight with like the degloving of the hand and mm-hmm. her getting flung off the roof of her RV. It's just like I wish they had put a little bit more of maybe a practical element to that. Yeah. But yeah. It, it wasn't something that killed it for me at all. No. 
And it's the and thing that afterwards, it's like, oh, maybe. It was only really the first one that yeah. distracted me. It, yeah. Um, especially when you see different layers under his face and things like that. You could feel like, oh, CG muscle. Oh, CG skull. Yeah, and not, like, some of it looked really good, but there's some elements of it that kind of jumped out, like you were saying, that yeah. were a little bit distracting, but it didn't kill it. I just, I was shocked how much they retained of the book. It even felt like a book, the way it, it proceeded. Yeah, There's, it, it is not a first act, second act, third no, act no. movie. I loved how they would go back from the knot yeah. to Danny's story to mm -hmm. um, Abra, and it felt very chaptery. And yeah. like I felt like it was one of the most faithful like Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. I, I loved how many different subplots they kept recruiting the girl and turning her into yeah. uh, one of the vampire creatures. I, really at the, I thought they were going to cut that completely and just the easy solution there is just she's already in the group. Yeah, and I so, love that because it, it, it gave you more context of mm -hmm. the group and how they operate and mm -hmm. how they become these creatures. And yeah. I, yeah. And again, you have you have like these five, six different elements and they all start on these very disparate roads, but then they all come together. Yeah. And once they come together, that center they do not that, split again because yeah. then the movie's just full throttle ahead. Yeah. And it's it's like two and a half hours. It does not feel no, like two no. and a half hours. And it is a two and a half hours smartly used. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the only thing uh, I had, I had tiny little quibbles. I won't the second time I watch it. But the first time I watched it, there's some things that happen that kind of do a little bit of, of redemption of Jack at the very end um, that they did not do. I don't know that it would have worked in the movie context. In the book, it worked because it's following the Shining book. This had a, a really hard, it had to balance being a sequel to what Stephen King had intended yeah. while still being a sequel to the film that he did not intend. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think they did really well there. And I, I think the, the second time I go back. I really like that ending, especially uh, he, it was in that um, same article I was reading with the director where he was saying the things that were changed and they mm -hmm. were talking about that end. And he was talking about how it was just a fine line because he was trying to get Stephen King's blessing on what he wanted to do. And I really liked how I, I have not read The Shining and I have not read the um, this book, Dr. Sleep. But he was talking about how he wanted it to almost be a tying of the two books together. So yep. in the original, I guess in the book, Jack burns down the, the yeah. overlook and has this redemptive like moment. And so he wanted to give that moment to Danny. To, yep. So he was just like kind of giving the sins of the father to the son to finally set yep. it right. And I really like that. Yep. Like kind of tying the two books together in this way. And and it did really well in that regard. Yeah, and but but um, also being faithful to the movie. Yeah. So it like it it doesn't take away from the original from and the it, shining and it was interesting because it brought in some things from the original book that Stephen King was upset that Cooper right. hadn't done. Yeah. In the original book it's very clear the hotel it's not that Jack is not um, at fault. But Jack is also being commandeered right. by this hotel. Yeah. Whereas in the Kubrick film, you get the idea that this guy has some issues. Mm -hmm. And the hotel is taking advantage of it, but at no point is the hotel possessing him. Yeah. It's just kind of enhancing what's already there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and this, it went back, and especially when Danny is being taken over by the hotel. Yeah. 
that that's straight from the original book. Right. Yeah. And so it, it really played well with that. Um, and that's where it was making really smart changes mm -hmm. to the Doctor Sleep novel. And um, like I said, I by the end of it, I was just like, this was not only insanely faithful to the book, I thought it was much more successful than the book. Right. It trimmed the fat maybe that yep. it didn't really need. Well, and so in the book, you're constantly getting a view into Danny's thoughts. And so exactly what you were saying where the events of The Shining, you were worried they were going to be present throughout – you feel that a lot more in the book yeah. because he's thinking about it or he's, you know, seeing visions of his father or, or different things are happening. Whereas this, it was bookended. Yeah. And so it was able to detach from The Shining more than the book was. And I think that was usually novels have an advantage because they allow you to see inside of a character's psyche and what's mm -hmm. going on in their brain. Uh, this wasn't able to do that, but that was to its advantage. Right. And I just, I was, I was impressed top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, if you had that, a lot of those like plans that are set in motion would not have as much like yeah. impact. I think if yeah. you know the thoughts or what is going through each character's mind at the time, it just, I, I feel like they played to that really well. Yeah. And I think my, my biggest um, confusion uh, is actually in the reaction to the film. I was going to ask Critics, you. Critics, it's very I, mixed. I, I saw it. Has, I need to read some. I didn't want to read anything because I yeah. I liked it so yeah, much. Yeah, that was the same way I and was. I was like, I didn't want to be brought down by yeah. in, like, picking out something. Some that people made, were very enthusiastic like us. Some people were completely against it. Audiences didn't really show up. It did yeah, not did make good money yeah. at the box office. Um, you know, it's, it's probably going to end up losing some money. Uh, my hope is people find it when it's, uh, when it's available on, on Blu-ray and whatnot and just come back to it and give it a better shot. And I, I cannot wait to watch The Shining, uh, take a quick break and then watch Dr. Sleep yeah. and, and see how much more of it pairs than I thought. And it, I really enjoyed that. It worked on its own as a film. Yeah. You wouldn't have even had to no. have seen The Shining no. to pick up on what you needed to pick yeah. up on. One thing I wanted to say is, yeah, like Mike Flanagan did this, directed it. He also did The um, Haunting of Hill House mm -hmm. on, That's on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, and uh, it's like, a, I think it's like 10 parts maybe. But it was something I was thinking about afterwards where like that story is very similar to mm -hmm. this story. So I feel like he used that as like this learning experience and brought what he learned from that. And probably the same as Gerald game, yeah. Gerald's game, because I didn't even think about the degloving until after. Him. But <laughs> I was really like, oh, yeah, there is similarities in this kind of overlap of this family who lived in this house and dealing with the trauma of that experience and like trying to get over and over it. And like it's led them all down these different paths. And. I, I enjoyed that show. I think it was a little uh, like overstuffed and mm -hmm. it was too long. It could have been cut down, but it's worth checking out. Yeah. Well, and just my, my last thought on Dr. Sleep, it was my geek moment. I just about lost my mind yeah. and went nuts in the seat. Um, Dick Halloran looks at Danny and says, cause a wheel. 
which is straight Dark Tower. Yeah. And I, I just, that. that that moment where just like, oh, where was that at? It's, it's when he's talking to adult Danny. Uh-huh. And it's, I, I'm pretty sure it's the scene where it's the last time he's going to talk. He's saying this is the last time I'm going to talk to you. And he says, uh, when Danny's struggling oh, right, with. right, right. When he sees him at the. Yeah, why is this happening? Why does this keep coming back? And he says, Ka is a wheel, uh, uh, which yeah. is straight out yeah, of Dark Tower. It's something Roland says all yeah. the time. And I just, somewhere, and I hope it's not an alternate future, uh, Stephen King movies keep getting made at this level Give of quality. Give him it. Give I would totally, Mike Flanagan yeah. the Dark Tower. He, I want to see. He clearly loves uh, his work so yep. much, and I feel like he would be able to pick out the most essential elements. Yep. Um, Every Dark Tower book is it lends itself so easily to visualization on yeah. the screen. You would just need a director who is willing to do the kind of things that Flanagan did with Doctor Sleep. Yeah to the Dark Tower books because he he makes such intelligent choices. I want to be faithful. At the same time, I understand what works on the screen versus what works on the page. And he's he's very good at making decisions as to what those things are. And man, to hand him Insomnia or the Dark Tower or some of those and let uh, part of me really wishes he had had it. For sure, uh, yeah. Because I mean, I I enjoyed the first one, but I to really see appreciate where it ended up, one. I would totally yeah. give it over to him. The second one really needed yeah. exactly what Flanagan does in Doctor Sleep, yeah. where he balances real world and this other realm. Yeah. So I I just at the end of the day, uh, do not waste your time with Terminator Dark Fury, which is making all the cash. Uh, definitely. Can I jump back and say one this oh, little sure. thing? Sure. I really, really liked the expl- explanation of why he has Doctor Sleep as a name. Yes. That was such a nice scene, yeah. and just gave the character this whole new depth because it ties into why he was called Doc before, and yeah. it's this new reason, and he's like using his gift to like help these elderly people yep. into the next life, and I really like that. Yep. Yeah. The only thing I missed from the book on that, and he tells the story, he tells the death fly story. Yeah. That was another thing I thought they're axing that. Um, I thought for sure we were going to get a quick shot, a very unsettling shot of Wendy with her face covered in these flies. Oh, yeah. Um, and as an adult, that's one of the things he has to work through. Now, in the movie, they just, and it's much easier that way. It would have been a distracting plot element. I, I think yeah, that was wisely I cut. I liked it as a story. In the in the book, if memory serves, he's working through that. He still sees those flies, and he's got to get, he's got to push past seeing those to be able to help people. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been too much, but I did miss... Just a quick one-second flash yeah. of her with flies on her face. I think that would have really flipped my stomach and upset me. Yeah. I can and, see uh, why they didn't do that because it's a sweet moment. Between, and where it's placed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it had been placed at a moment where he is telling, like, the friend and he's lamenting this kind of thing, right, that's right. where you would use it. Yeah. But where it was. Especially okay. as um, the story, Dr. Sleep goes on and almost these things are getting back into his life because he's kind of opening himself back up to his shining and maybe it pops in there is it but i could see why when when he's telling that story yeah okay that's all i had to say no it's fine (laughs) dr sleep definitely see it yeah i was Um, totally surprised way more people should see this movie than are currently seeing this yeah be open open like have an open mind to it yeah like don't 
I don't know. I was felt like I had a hard shell around me for seeing it. But yeah, that's all right. Yeah. It's I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, for sure. So and I almost went and saw it again. But did you? I, I wanted. Oh, I was like, to. I almost wanted to take to. my brother to see it. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, moving on. Uh, moving on. Uh, I should have talked about the scene. <laughs> I could have done this one of those. This is going to be a long episode because we're... <laughs> Where are we at already? <laughs> An hour 27. Oh, man, that's okay. Yes, yeah, fine. This is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> there was... Um, I, I should have talked about the scene where Abra looks at Danny, possessed, and says, you're wearing... Who's who? Who's under the mask, or, or you know? And it's the hotel wearing the Danny mask. Uh-huh. Uh, because I should have figured out a clever way to transition that into face off, but no. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> we are going to. We'll we'll keep this one short. This one's for funsies. You sure. You this will. is a throwback <laughs> review that we promised. A review of face off. I talked Clint. This is very convoluted. I talked Clint into watching. Face Off, the 1997 John Will John Woo action thriller. John Willie Woo. John Willie Woo. Uh, I talked Clinton to watching this as good 90s fun. And my memory of it was, I, I still love this movie. Yeah. So then I went back and watched it while Clinton was watching it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is. What have I done? <laughs> this is not a good movie. This does not hold up. And I knew it didn't hold up, but not to that level. So then we talked about it, and and you had a particular reaction you'll talk about here in a second. So then I went back and watched it again, and then I sort of loved it again. You watched it again? I did. <laughs> so, uh, Clint, punishment. Just just to uh, just to remind you of what you watched. Uh, Face off, according to this Blu-ray case, says John Travolta stars as FBI agent Sean Archer doing the unthinkable to stop the elusive terrorist Caster Troy. Watch the bullets fly and the action explode as master action director John Woo, Broken Arrow, detonates the screen. <laughs> it redefines the action genre like never before. Then I went to Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. and ho ho ho, dear Clint, did you know that on Rotten Tomatoes this thing is super fresh at like 92%. 92% Clint. I told and, you uh, the internet is crazy. The, the Wall Street Journal says a gorgeously shot, repetitively violent, occasionally repellent, sometimes silly, and consistently trashy fantasy. And uh, Newsweek calls it Woo, a master of poetic carnage, mixes kitsch, sadism, sentiment, and comedy with choreographic precision. Even Siskel and Ebert love this thing. Face Off is the best action movie of the summer. Clint. What'd you think of Face Off? I'm sure at the time it was all those things, but I feel like it has not aged well. <laughs> it is not a fine wine. <laughs> it's just you didn't enjoy your dirty trip grape juice into... in the bottom of a cup. Oh wow! No, I <laughs> I was just trying to think of something. Okay, well, first of all, it was a bit of a headache. <laughs> watch you gave me a blu-ray copy that obviously you have not used since you were given it this is one of the very first blu-rays that ever came out so it It came out it was on blu-ray and hd dvd if the kids remember hd dvd had a red case instead of a blue case yeah apparently it it does not work in any modern it does not play so I had to, no one online has it except for epics so I had to sign up for a, a seven day trial of epics Man. 
I'm currently holding up the Blu-ray case so that Clint can see the picture of John Travolta and Nicolas Cage pointing guns at each other with a fiery background. I feel like they, like, face off their (laughs) images there where they switch them digitally (laughs) because it's so poorly CG or uh, photoshopped. Um, So, yeah, then I I got on Epics. This is not interesting. But I... (laughs) Then chose to. You ever? Uh, you don't have a Roku, did you? No. No, I have a Roku, and you can like use your phone as a remote, and then listen to it mm-hmm. in your headphones mm-hmm. through your phone. So I was doing that, and for some reason the dialogue was just all jumbled. <laughs> it was off from their lips, but I was like, "This is fitting with this film." So I. That's how I experienced it. But it's not a good movie, Ken. I'm sorry, it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. No. But I love it. <laughs> so you came back around to you love it? No, I I, I don't know. It's bad. It's, it's real bad. It's a bad movie. It's real bad. It's as cheesy and, oh, it's... Cringy. It's, yeah, it's definitely cringy. Yeah. It did not play that not cringy in the well 90s. It was already cringy, but it, it definitely is cringy now. Um I had said this before, but I, I think my biggest criticism has always been I wish Nicolas Cage was the boring detective. I, yeah. And then now he's the secret bad guy yeah. really going over the top. Me too. But other than I, that. Um, I His performance at the beginning where he is the crazy psychopath mm-hmm. is fun. Oh. Um, as cringy as some of the moments are on the airplane. Before. So what are some of the top things that just do not age? I know... The yes. face touching. <laughs> it's so they do it so many times. Yeah. The face yeah. swipe, like, there you are, Peter. That <laughs> oh, hook, there you are. Oh, there you are. Oh goodness. Yeah. Facial anatomy also does not just anatomy in general no, does not work. That's the not way how faces that work. Face off works. No. You know? It's not how faces work, it's not how the bodies work. The skeletal system it's has not an important role in what your face looks like. John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, though both very chest hairy men don't have similar body types at all no they don't no also what else slow motion slow motion all just the the all uh, john woo boat chase john oh (laughs) they're not even trying to hide that they're stuntmen it's like that's just a different person who's that guy that's not john travolta not john travolta um yeah what else i had something else i was just about to say and then now I'm just picturing the poor, poor stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's seriously not a good movie. It does not hold up in any way. Only if you saw the movie in 1997 and enjoyed it, can you find any love of it. All, all the ideas of what's a cool, like, mafioso kind of mm-hmm. guy. It's, like, heavily influenced by, like, a Chinese, like, yep. mafia, like, gold. Just, like, gold. Very Hong Kong. Gold, yeah. Gold, gold guns. guns. Gold, like, money clips. And wild eyes. Wild eyes. Yeah. It was, I don't know what else to say. So you're telling the people not to watch Face Off? No, watch it. <laughs> it's one of those movies, just like The Man Who Killed Bigfoot. Hitler and Bigfoot. Yeah. Or you just like, it's, it's such Hitler, a train Bigfoot, wreck, you got to see it. Oh, the music choices are so bad. Real bad. Except for, I. it's terrible. Don't say I know. it. <laughs> it's terrible. It's, yes, it's terrible. But I love it, because back in the day, I was like, this is film. 
when I have none of that baggage to <laughs> help me through this. When they go into the slow motion shootout and they're playing uh, over the rainbow, over the rainbow, as he goes to save the child over the the glass. Um, also, that... nobody questions him just bringing this kid home <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Oh, this is our new son. Don't ask any questions. In 1997, this all made sense. It was a very different world, Clint. Was wild. You could just go pick up a kid from a shootout and just adopt them, <laughs> okay? Just, no. Don't make fun of my childhood. It was... I'm not. Okay. Maybe that's how the Mandalorian got his start. <laughs> just... He's somebody a... walked in and scooped up a poor orphan boy and like, I'm going to raise you, kid. There also... John Travolta as Nicolas Cage in jail sure did kill a lot of people to get out of that jail. No consequences. No. 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 I love how convoluted the the whole setup is. We yeah, need to get, like, the whole thing is just we need information way. from your brother. Such an easier way to go And about your brother's this. not going to crack, so. Then this surgery that probably took months to but heal But this from? was before we knew about waterboarding and <laughs> torture. <laughs> So you really had to think, like, well, we can't torture people, so what do we do instead? Is that what the military is doing? Like, oh, we can't face off somebody. <laughs> We're just going to have to use waterboarding. Wow. We have this towel and some water. Yeah. Well, we really wanted to face off them. The real reason I wanted you to watch Face Off is because uh, this inspired something as we were talking, and I, I cannot wait. I want to know, uh, and we both come up with some lists, I'm going to do mine first because I suspect mine is not going to be as funny as yours. <laughs> but I want to know if if we were making Face Off today, uh, a remake of Face Off, and we we're going to make it right, uh, the actors that we would cast in the new Face Off. Yeah, because they are remaking it. They are literally remaking it, or at least it's it's in script stage yeah. or, or something's happening. Well, can I give you a little history of the casting process? Uh, sure. That was... sure. For the original film? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. So this is John Travolta and Nick Cage. Yeah, before right. they were attached. Oh. So originally cast was Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> that That's so Drex. Yeah. That would have been such a different film that I might enjoy more. Yeah. Besides, well, I do love Nick Cage, but John Travolta, I do not care Just for John Travolta. Just the voices alone would have been amazing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Then... <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, I want to see that oh man okay go on so it was okay. supposed to be Schwarzenegger and Stallone yeah Wu wanted Michael Douglas and Jean-Claude Van Damme that was his I think first choice that's nightmarish yeah okay <laughs> just, just imagine that nope I don't want to It'll okay and night. for a little while Harrison Ford and Michael Douglas were attached Okay, I yeah, I could see the... That would be a completely different kind of film. Very different film, but I that seems like a much more serious Yeah, for film. sure. Like The Fugitive, but mm-hmm. they switched their faces. I can certainly see why Harrison Ford said, no, thank you. <laughs> I wonder how long that was. <laughs> that conversation with Harrison Ford? Yeah. About three and a half seconds. <laughs> Get out of my office. Must have been a little while. I made it on Wikipedia. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Any others that were... No, that was it. That's great. Yeah. I want to see the Schwarzenegger Stallone version, yeah. especially in 1997. That'd be kind of wild. Mm-hmm. All right. So, are we uh, going to do this back and forth, or yeah, we can do it back and forth. Okay, we can do it back and forth. Uh, first up, uh, recasting Face Off uh, is Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. 
<laughs> I actually had the same thought, but I did not add it to my list. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. It's on my list. Okay. So you had better thoughts. No, it was a good one, but I had okay. some similar ideas. I, I want them in full Talladega Nights mode. Yeah. Uh, shake and bake, face off. Okay. And wildly different body types, and I want everybody to be aware of it. Yeah. And saying, that's, like, aren't you, you weren't this tall. No, I was, I was always this tall. That's almost every combination <laughs> I have on this list, because I just see it as a comedy, kind of like 21 Jump Street, okay. that style. Yeah. We're just obviously bringing attention to the yeah. ridiculousness of it. All right, so, so your your first pairing. So this is kind of similar in that way, but a little more updated, was Bill Hader and Will Forte. Oh, Just that's that good. combo on screen, that would be ridiculous oh, fun. Bill Hader and Will Forte. Yeah, especially with Barry kind of. Yeah, that's really tones. good. Yeah. That's really good. Okay. Um, my next one, actually going on Bill Hader, mine was Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. <laughs> Just full gender swap. Let's go 2019. And let's make this. <laughs> let's make this real relevant. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That well, was my... I, I had Kate McKinnon and Kristen Wiig. Oh, that's so great. So, that's really good. Yeah. I like that so one. So we, we're a similar page. Okay. What's your next one? Um, okay. I had Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key. Oh, that. Do they have a face off sketch? That oh, seems like they, something. Maybe they do. That's amazing. If, I just, if they um, don't, that's right up there. Yeah, alley. that would be so much. If that show was still on, that's I know. exactly. I, that's kind what of I was thing. imagining. I was like, oh, maybe they did this. That's why I'm thinking yeah. about it. But it just seems like I something don't, they would do. I don't do. remember. Yeah, but it seems exactly like something they mm -hmm. would do. All right, my next one gets a little complicated. Uh, my next one is Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Uh huh. In a sequel to Hot Fuzz. <laughs> Hot Fuzz colon. Face off. <laughs> Directed by, right? Yeah. Edgar Wright. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that one that one's the one uh that I almost most want to see. I'm saving my yeah, top. Yeah, that's a good one. But that one, but I want it to be not a remake of Face Off. It's a remake of Face Off, but it's a direct sequel to Hot Fuzz. For sure. And it's those same characters. Yeah, I love that one. Uh now they have to go on this this new mission. Do they That's switch what faces? What? Do they switch? Well, yeah, it would have to be really convoluted. <laughs> okay, yeah. They switch faces to still accomplish whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and and maybe there's two bad guys that have also switched faces. Yeah. And they're trying to... But it's a whole town of people who switch faces. I don't know. I haven't really thought this through. <laughs> I, like I just it. know that Simon it. Pegg and, and Nick Frost. That's, to, that's really good. Switch. Okay, I'm going to give you a ridiculous one. Okay. I don't know why this popped in my head. But this takes place in the home improvement home, home improvement universe. <laughs> it's Tim Allen and Richard Karn as Al. So maybe some accident happens on Tool Time, and one of them loses their face, and maybe it's maybe it's a romantic tale where the other gives up his face for the other. And I don't know. I didn't think. Or it through. The, the accident, they both lose their faces, and just through a comedy yeah. of errors. They don't the wrong faces. Yeah, they both get <laughs> this accident happens where they both lose their faces, and then the doctors don't know which one goes with which, and they get switched, and then they Perfect. go. To, yeah, it's Perfect. almost like a body swap movie, but it's this body horror swap movie. Perfect. It's yeah. just called Tool Slash Time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's. So I knew I had that on there for a reason. Oh, it's so great. It's so random. <laughs> I, I can't believe you went into like 
90s sitcoms. Yeah, I don't know why. Wow. No, yeah. no, I know why because that's that's great. I would watch that. Movie. I would watch it. Yeah. All right. How many more do you have? I only have one more. Okay. Well, you go ahead and I'll okay. I, I'll pick out. This my... is this was my absolute favorite one that he came up with is Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement. Uh, full oh, that would be so what we good. do in the shadows mode, but face off, uh, and the two of them doing impressions of each other and just. Oh, that would be great. Yep. Little, just give me a little New Zealand indie remake oh, yeah. of Face Off with those two. And yeah. it's exactly the kind of thing they would do. Like scoop up rights to something ridiculous yeah. like that. And then like, we're just going to make a version of that. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, so I have a couple yours. of, um, okay. I have like four more. <laughs> okay. This one was kind of a serious one. And I just love to see these two in combination. Matthew McConaughey and Michael Shannon. I just, that one's my okay. most serious one. That this one, one was fun. just a stupid name thing with Colin Farrell and Will Farrell. <laughs> and it would be a good call. I don't think Colin Farrell would sign on. <laughs> he might. He's Maybe. Done, he's the penguin. Maybe. 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 But he's done some fun things. Like the, he's done the lobster and everything now. That's true. So yeah. If it was, it was yeah, like a weird quality. Yeah. Um, what else do I have here? Okay, I have two more. And <laughs> this one is the cast of uh, of the movie Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and it's just the thing where their bodies are so out, like, Perfect. and they just don't reference it. Like, they're just completely Perfect. different sizes. And <laughs> this one <laughs> is in reference to our previous episode. So it's Sam Elliott and the Bigfoot. <laughs> So something happens in that in the woods. <laughs> they don't even switch faces. No. You had pointed out the Bigfoot wanted to steal his mustache for power. He just rips that off and puts it on and goes and home. He goes home. And, and everybody like, just, just, even the brother believes yeah, they're sitting on the bench with the Bigfoot. They're fishing and it's this Bigfoot with a mustache on and he doesn't even see the difference. And then Sam Elliott's just Wakes in the up. wood. And he's trying to get back. Yeah. He's trying to convince people. And they're like, oh no, the Bigfoot. He's in the woods with a broken arm and no mustache. Oh, man. Oh, that's glorious. Yeah. Okay, that's all I had. I, wow. Okay, so what's what was your top pick out of all of that? What was your favorite, like, if it was actually happening? Um. Well, I think Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key yeah. would be fun. Yeah. And I really loved your um, Hot Fuzz. Yeah, I think, I think my Hot Fuzz sequel is my favorite one. Yeah, that like, one's great. That would just... It'd be so ludicrous. It'd be so much fun. Yeah. I love it. All right. All right. Well, we had uh, we had some other stuff prepared, but I, I think we should just kind of wrap there. We've already run long. Do you want to do a speed round of our Nick Cage movies? Yes, okay, definitely. We'll end with that. So, yeah, this, this had originally started with a conversation about Nicolas Cage performances. So, Clint, your essential uh, Nick Cage performances, these are your desert island. I got to have my cage. You want me to just do them all or just want to go back and forth? Let's real go quick? back and forth. Like well, speed round. Speed round. Start with number five and work your way up. Okay. Mine aren't in any order, but, um, <laughs> mine are in order. I, I did this quickly. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Okay. Uh, my first is adaptation. Oh, okay. Adaptation is already on my list. So I'll go ahead and throw that one out. I figured. Uh, love that performance by him. Okay. Me too. Next. Um, you want me to go? Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Raising I'll, Arizona. 
Raising Arizona is really good. I actually put this 1993 flick called Red Rock West. Have you ever seen no, it? No, I haven't. Uh, it's actually, check it out. It's got Dennis Hopper oh. in it. And it's um, it's Nicolas Cage. It's like this neo-noir uh, where he is just this average guy that's mistaken for a, uh, an assassin. Yeah. And he is kind of low-key, but then weird, but then low-key, but then weird. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Maybe it's another face-off. Be careful. When, when's it from? 1993. Okay. Be careful. All right. So, Adaptation was my first one. Then Red Rock West. What's your third one? Um, I haven't seen this movie since I saw it in the theater, so it could be bad. But I do remember really liking him in this. Um, the Weatherman. Ah, the Weatherman's really good. Yeah, have you rewatched uh, it? I have rewatched it recently, and it's still really sad. Oh, yeah, uh, but it's it's such a good performance. Okay, good. Uh, especially between him and Michael Caine. Yeah, I remember uh, really liking it, and then I just haven't. You should rewatch it. it. It's I, worth I watching. Will, yeah, uh, mine was Matchstick Men because I actually oh, went yeah. back and forth between mm-hmm. the Weatherman and Matchstick Men, but Matchstick Men's that a little more good. fun. Yeah, it doesn't depress me like the Weatherman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's really good in that one as a con man. He's got a daughter who's learning to be a con artist. Yeah. All right. Um, and this is one I've only seen once, but it's my like a perfect combo of my love for David uh, Lynch mm-hmm. in Nick Cage. So Wild at Heart. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mine is not David Lynch. It was Con Air. <laughs> for the accent, mullet, Sure. Uh, you're going to make me watch it. I've never You've seen never it. watched Con Air? I shouldn't say it. You're going to make me watch it. It's better than Face Off. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's way overdone, way mm-hmm. too long, way too many actors. Yeah. Isn't Dave Chappelle in it? Uh, yeah, maybe. One of the plot points of Con Air is Nicolas Cage is trying to get home to his daughter and he finds a, a pink stuffed bunny that he wants to take her. Mm. And that's an actual plot point of consequence. Is he like running for the bunny and stuff, trying to get he's, it back? You know, in prison on a plane with a bunch of prisoners and the plane goes down and he's got to try to... Yeah, I know the main you know, gist of it. You should... I don't know if it's worth watching. It's Well, I've already suffered through right. this one, so... Just for his performance alone, even if you watch 10 minutes, his his performance does not change yeah. the whole movie. He does this very <laughs> country accent. I can't remember his name. <laughs> it's it's great. All right. Your next one. Um, Kind of along the same lines, The Rock. I got The Rock, yeah. too. I love Nick Cage and The Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Beatles fan Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he just gets slowly more and more unhinged the more he gets out of the lab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love The Rock. Okay. Is that is that your last one? I have one more. Okay. Uh, I, um, did you have another one? I do have another you one. You go ahead. Uh, actually, the other one I had was Mandy. Oh, um, that's my last one, too. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, well, we read each other's minds, yeah. Clint. It's like you took your face and I put it on mine, <laughs> and I took my face and put it on yours. And nobody can tell us apart now. They're going to be very confused at work tomorrow. They are. <laughs> yeah, Mandy was just... Bizarre. I need to rewatch it because I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed him a lot in it, mm-hmm. but there was things about the movie I didn't. I don't know if I'll ever enjoy yeah. that movie. There's I don't even know if I'll watch it again. I feel um, like I he was fun to. in it. Yeah, uh, really morose, and yeah. then he got yeah, you know, cocaine crazy. Mm-hmm. I just um, love the wild swing between those two. Yeah. Now, <laughs> did you ever see what was the one where he was the detective? It was a sequel to something or other. Yeah. Uh, Bad Lieutenant? Yeah. Yeah. I tried watching that, and I made about 15 minutes. I tried watching it three or four times and finally got all the way through it. Yeah. 
Um, which is that's a Werner Herzog movie. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I just, think it was just I don't know. It feels like everybody on set doing lines of cocaine and then taking yeah time on front of the camera and then doing more cocaine. Did, did you ever see Joe? Yes, Joe's yeah. really good. Yeah, I like uh, it. He's very he's very subdued in Joe, but yeah. he does really well. Joe pairs kind of well with Mud. Mud's a much better I film. I think but... that was my problem with it because I love Mud. Yeah. So I just had that comparison in mind yeah. the entire time. So if I, you go back yeah. and watch Joe separate from when Mud came out, it's it's a lot better because I did the same thing. I watched them at the same time, and I was just like, oh, Mud's so much better, and I kind of dismissed Joe. But yeah. Joe's really good. Yeah, uh, it's it's worth watching. So. Uh, that's that's all we've got. We we I think we did it. <laughs> all kinds of long, but uh, it was yeah. worth it. Um, one hour fifty one minutes. Seriously? Yeah. Oof. I yeah. Maybe apologize to anybody who listens that long, but uh, yeah. you know, hopefully you enjoyed some chat about Doctor. I Sleep feel pretty and, good about it. Yeah, I do yeah. too. We just had a lot to cover this week. Yeah. All right. Live with it. Yeah. Yeah. Get over Stop it. Stop complaining. Complainers. Bill, Bill in Wisconsin. Or was that Sandra? Jim? Sandra? Sandra from Tennessee? There was somebody we called out. Oh, yeah. But I remember. I can't it remember. It wasn't a real person. Werner. They're okay. Overseas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This has been Cinebabble Episode 4. Thank you, as always, for listening, if you're listening. No if you're not listening, listening thanks, you're my really brother. missing out. Yeah, and people that we know directly because, you yeah. know, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. All right, well. Bye. <laughs> still got to work on that. Yes. <laughs>